This episode of the Cinema Vention Podcast is brought to you by Rotting Wonk, RozJ001, Jack Wolf, and Wearmall 3. If you want to become one of the names listed, go support the show today at patreon.com slash wscottis1. Hi, I'm W. Scott is one, and I have not seen the movie 2001 Space Odyssey. Increasing his cultural IQ, one movie at a time. This is Cinemavention. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Cinemavention podcast, where we review and discuss classic movies that I should have seen long ago. Today, we'll be discussing the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey, which my guest has seen before. He is the host of the VOD Squad. Please welcome Matthew Ross, aka Pathway. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Willie? I'm doing great. I'm uh, I'm recovering from a little uh, medical mishap. Don't worry, it's not COVID or anything. It's nothing too serious. No, that was my medical mishap, so that's fine. Don't worry oh, right, that. right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. No, I can't. I can't be stealing your medical mishaps. <laughs> no, no, no. I can give it to you. You just have to come over. Well, it's too late now. I'm no longer infected. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it's yeah, like good. good to have you on the show, and um, I'm uh, I'm excited to talk about uh, 2001 because I I have a feeling it's going to be an interesting discussion. We'll we'll get into it, but you know what? This will not be the first interesting discussion about this movie. This may be like the millionth. Oh <laughs> yeah, this movie has been discussed a lot. Oh yeah, so yeah, to 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 all the ends of the spectrum. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh. But but before we get into talking about the movie, as always, I'd like to give uh, the stats real quick. Uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey is available for rent or purchase on all major internet distributors and is available to stream on HBO Max. Uh, 2001 was released by MGM on April 3rd, 1968. The movie was directed by Stanley Kubrick and stars Kier Dulla, Gary Lockwood, William Sylvester, Daniel Richter, and Douglas Rain. The movie had a budget of $12 million and made $65.8 million in theaters. Matt, do you remember uh, the first time that you saw this movie? I'm guessing it's probably not in the theaters. No, it was not in the theaters. It's, this came out in 1968 and I was born in 79. I missed it mm-hmm. just by a little bit. Um, also at that age, I would not have understood, but I didn't understand the first time I watched it anyways. No, I'm certain I saw this movie for the first time, uh, by on a VHS tape, um, at my dad's house. And I'm sure it's one of those things because my dad had a ton of movies that he would collect and we would, uh, either, or we would record off things like HBO and things like that mm-hmm. after VHS tapes. And we would, um, often as kids, uh, want to pull out every movie off the off the off the off the rack and uh, watch one of the movies, and I'm certain this is one of the ones that we watched probably when I was mm, eight nine years old. I cannot remember, but it was a long time ago, and I know I did not understand it then. So yeah, yeah, no, and it's uh, yeah, and uh, there are some points that I didn't understand either. We'll uh, we'll get into that a little bit later, but uh, but yeah, no, this. Uh, this movie, this movie was an interesting watch, I will say. And, uh, yeah, I, and, and like you mentioned too, with the whole VHS tapes and everything, like that was very much me growing up as well. Like, you know, we have an entire stack of VHS tapes still at my parents' house. I happen to have a very special little thing here. Oh, you do? I picked these up somewhere. Oh. I can't remember where. 
These are original VHS large box uh, copies. Yeah, yeah, if, yeah. If you're watching the video, yeah, it's a it's a complete oh. like box set of 2001: A Space Odyssey in VHS and 2010 as well. So oh, you was, got both. I, pick, I came across these and I said, uh, uh, I think it's that they were in a yard sale or something, and I said, I'll take them. Mm-hmm. Right <laughs> on. Uh, if nothing else, it's just good memorabilia. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, you you found you you found a gem. Like garage sales are actually really good about uh, finding gems like that. Like, there's even like people who will like you know. I mean, even if you didn't want to keep them, you could probably turn it around and sell it on eBay and make a bank off of those. Because people, uh, I, I imagine those are very very pricey on eBay. Right oh now. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the collector's item on eBay is insane. Yeah, no, like, I col- apparently I collect old movies uh, on weird media and just some, not a lot. And old IBM Model M keyboards, so it's all good. <laughs> yeah, right on. Do you have any laser discs of any movies? No laser discs, but I have many RCA discs, mm. which are the, uh, the the that weird magnetic record solution the RCA tried desperately uh, to make. And what I like about those is that the whole cover of the disc makes a great album. And eventually, in this room, I want to put a couple of my favorites on my wall, just the discs themselves. So you, they're like, oh, there's the, that was a great old movie. That was a great old movie that I have on my walls. Not that I'll ever be able to play them ever, or if I do, because I do have a player too, but I don't think it works. I'd have to figure yeah. out how to fix it. Yeah, no, I have. Yeah, we have a VHS player. Yeah, no, I haven't. We haven't used it in years, so I have no clue if it actually works or not. <laughs> I probably have a couple VHS players in my my garage. Yeah, and and actually, uh, fellow uh, fellow guest. Uh, person we've had on the show before amos has is actually having trouble um finding a vhs player right now he's uh he's trying to digitize some of his vhs tapes i know and uh you know apparently finding a vhs player these days is harder than you might think (laughs) so okay i'll have to reach out to amos yeah absolutely yeah 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 honestly yeah no so yeah if you if you have a vhs player that works uh hold on to it evidently because they're hard to come by these days (laughs) sure but uh, let's go ahead and talk about the actual movie itself here. So, of course, I got to talk about the opening song that is played a bunch of times throughout the movie. But it's the iconic song that everyone knows. Unfortunately, I think it is copyright, so we can't play it on the actual podcast. It, uh, you- I believe it is not copyrighted because I believe it is a very ancient old uh, uh, song. Yeah. Maybe a recent rendition is copyrighted. But, yeah, um, see, that's what song- I'm wondering. Yeah, because it's because uh, I've seen pe- like content creators use it and it's completely fine. Yeah, has it like fallen into public domain now at this uh, point? It's or? also Sprach Zarathustra uh, <laughs> by uh, one of the Strausses. Many Strausses uh, are, are out there and so um, uh, and uh, all, but most people can commonly know it as the 2001 theme. The one that's yeah, and it just um, and it, of course that song uh, almost mathematically builds up to this really crazy crescendo at this end that is absolutely just if if you just let it is mind blowing and so mm-hmm. yeah absolutely that song is wonderful if what you're trying to do is to make something some big realization moment in a movie that is a yeah. really excellent choice unfortunately since it's in 2001 if you try to do it in any other film they'll say oh you're parodying 2001 right mm-hmm. now. that's what they would say which is fine yeah, yeah. Well, and and yeah, like you meant, like 
there's so many content creators like advertisements, TV shows that use this song to convey something exciting going on. And and yeah, no, the, this song is still being used today as yeah. as a means of, you know, show of like showing something super exciting on the screen almost. Any you know? kid gets into a band room and sees the timpani goes bum 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 that's what they do. Honestly, yeah, no, that's kind of my favorite part of the song, if if I'm being honest, is that uh, tambourine that's being played. Like that that's gotta be my favorite part of the song, honestly. Um yeah. But uh yeah, yeah, so the music in this movie is interesting because there's n- almost no sm- sm- music with words except for uh later in the movie the songs that is sung by a choir which is maddening. Um it's a haunting choir piece that yeah. is absolutely just drives you insane uh called Lox Eternia. I cannot pronounce the Latin words. Uh <laughs> But anyways, uh, it's it's a uh, a haunting choir, uh, choir piece that just oh, 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 you know it's totally just trying to get the, your nerves up during it because it is uh, trying to uh, help you understand the kind of emotions and the kind of feelings people are having at that moment in the movie, which we can get to and talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, and you've also got uh, Requiem played a bunch of times as well in the movie too which and is... of course blue danube everybody remembers blue danube which is mm. you know, the one where everybody falls asleep to in this movie oh yeah 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 for sure <laughs> now i'm gonna i'm just gonna go ahead and give this disclaimer up front here because uh i think you'll be able to guess my uh my rating of this movie by uh by the conversation here the but... first time you've seen it i think i know where this is going yeah so yeah no if you love this movie i'm so sorry because i i have so many major problems like there's so many major problems with this movie for me personally and uh you know like i said yeah no if you love this movie like I, I do not mean to like completely just crap all over this movie, but I, I I'm just I'm gonna have to because there's just there's aspects of this film that I had a problem with and and I'll and I'll go over them, uh, Matt. But uh, but yeah, it, watching this movie in 2022, it was a rough watch for me. It really was. <laughs> oh, it is what sixty years old. Yeah, 1968. You know, or, or, it, yeah, so. yeah, so it's uh, it's it's pretty old. So it, you know, it, has it aged well? In my opinion, I think it's actually aged very well for the for the for the kind of movie it is. Mm-hmm. And um, that's uh, so in particular, um, I just really want to say that this movie um, is is you want to think about this movie more as an art film in some respects because sure the kind of movie that was coming out before especially science fiction for the most part was pure pop culture hits things like buck rogers and star trek was on the air and things like that it was not designed to be a polished piece is designed to be exciting and for lots of dialogue and lots of things to happen which is not this film this mm-hmm. film is kubrick's attempt to take a very interesting uh, uh, story that's, you know, with it's designed for you to have a lot of interpretation to it. It's not designed for you to have a, an ending get to it that makes, you know, perfect sense at the first viewing. It's intended for you to watch it and try to come up with what you think it means. Yeah. Not trying to spell it out to you. So the first viewing, a lot of people are blown away one way or another. Me personally, it, it's visually striking. I love the main storyline 
having to do with Hal. And I'm, um, and I'm a big fan of hard science fiction. And mm-hmm. for me, hard science fiction is any science fiction that doesn't, um, doesn't go outside our current means too much. Mm-hmm. So the idea being, hey, let's have a story. Like, uh, so my most recent uh, hard science fiction movie that I absolutely love is The Martian. Um, yeah, yeah. Because it's not something we can do right now. And uh, but it's not something that seems unreasonable. And so let's have a story in that. Okay, good science. Good science is happening. Good stuff is is having to be dealt with. Um, But um, um, but we have a problem in a different setting that we don't normally in. How do we fix that? So fun fun fact, by the way, uh, The Martian is Neil deGrasse Tyson's favorite uh, uh, space movie. So. uh, So, yeah, it might might change uh, when. uh, uh, um, um, Hail Mary comes out, which is also something I'm looking forward to. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I, and like you mentioned too about like you know considering this movie more as an art film more than like an actual like you know action you know thriller kind of movie. Like, right. I, and I and I get that right. Like, I get that this movie is considered a movie masterpiece. And to be honest, I can't um I can't say you're uh, anybody's wrong on that like i i absolutely it is act legitimately very masterfully done like the cinematography is great in it and i also get the that like oh go ahead sorry the sets in space are amazing the the uh the 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 playing with gravity in that whole movie uh something that they you know how in the world did they do any of this without any kind of special effects at the time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, are just absolutely mind-boggling how in the world did they get that shot of the guy running around in the circle yeah <laughs> yeah no that? that's actually one thing uh, i was going to mention too so, about like the practical effects on that yeah and, are, and that was that was uh that was pretty impressive that uh that uh flight attendant who's like delivering the food and is basically going through like that hamster wheel sort of thing that's the best way i can describe it she has velcro shoes that's how she's able to move around in a zero gravity environment she's mm-hmm. carefully stepping and reattaching herself as she you know she has to walk real slow because she has to disattach herself yeah from her on her each step because in that situation there is no uh, centrifugal force in order to create artificial gravity so she just was used to doing that with her grip shoes and was able to uh, make it uh, and go and go to the guy who's fallen asleep on the trip, grab his pen and put it back in his pocket. that's floating there. Which is mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I and I did appreciate. Yeah, like and, and, and we're so spoiled in 2022 with like with CGI and all these other fancy special effects that uh, Hollywood can do nowadays. But yeah, back in 1968, I'm sure this was. I'm sure this was mind blowing for everyone who saw it in the theaters back then. And honestly, even even today, like the practical effects, like honestly, they could probably pass a movie being released even to this day. Honestly, like it it was. It's very well put together. If uh, so, the same effect was recently used in Inception. Mm. Uh, because uh, what they did for uh, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. No, go ahead. uh, the uh, the the way they were able to get that uh, room to work where he was able to run around the room is because they literally made a giant centrifuge room where they could spin it and keep him always at the bottom of it. So it would look like that him, you know, follow him with a camera or keep the camera steel. So it looks like uh, he's moving around that weird shape and is somehow able to do that. But mm-hmm. in actuality, um, the room is moving and with by the camera effects, it looks like he's not. Yeah. yeah. In Inception. 
there's a scene where one of the guys is literally crawling up a hallway that is turned sideways because in one of the layers of the guy's dream, he's falling sideways. And so the whole world in this one layer of the dream is turning sideways. And he's literally running up the side of a wall because they are doing a very similar uh, uh, centrifuge tube that they turn up onto its end in order to have this amazing shot of people literally doing things that doesn't make great sense at all. It's this great visual effect. It still works today. If somebody was to release this movie today um, and, 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 and put it out there and it never came out before, everybody would say, oh, that's a really good B flick. That's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, they did a good job. <laughs> yeah, no, but, but, but honestly, though, like, yeah, no, I, I, that goes to show you, like, the practical effects that they used. Like, it, it's, it's, it's amazing, actually, in that regard. So I actually give the movie props for that, to be honest. But like I mentioned, you know, the movie's a masterpiece. It's referenced in all kinds of other media. And so I get its significance. I get its importance. It's why we're talking about this movie on this show. However, having mm. said all of that, I just cannot get over how slow this movie is. It is so slow. Like, I, I could, I honestly believe that if you made this movie today, like the exact same storyline, right? You could probably mm -hmm. cut an entire hour off of the movie and still get the entire point across of the story and still have it be a great movie at an hour 30 if it were made today. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So I, and I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad that that's, I'm glad I'm not, you know, completely unfounded in that because, because yeah, because this movie is super slow I thought Aliens was bad with pacing, but this movie takes it to a whole new level. And not only that, this movie is so slow that they had to include a spot for an intermission in the movie. I've never seen that in any of the other movies we've covered on this show. There has never been an intermission uh, screen spliced into the movie. Um, and, and actually, the copy that we watched on HBO Max actually has mm -hmm. an intermission section in it presumably this is the original copy or pretty close to the original copy and i mm -hmm. and i'm almost certain what the what they would do in the theaters is they would literally pause the reel right at this point and offer like a 15 or 20 minute intermission like so the reason why they had to have intermissions for really long movies in the olden days was because they had to take off re reel one and put on reel two mm -hmm. really that's part of the reason why that had to happen is because Okay, we would probably make this happen. That being said, also, it's a long-ass movie. So, yeah, mm -hmm. people want to go out there and smoke their cigarettes and buy some more candy. So, I totally get it. I mean, we're, we are talking about 1968 here. So Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so, an intervention, an intermission does make a lot of sense to have in this movie. And this is not the only movie that has this. This is one of the few movies that left it in the film for you to see. But a lot of the old movies did have intermissions built into them as well. This, oh, yeah. This one had it built in with a selected piece of music as well. So mm -hmm. um, that's I'm certain that's why they decided to leave it in. Also because it's really long. You're right. Well, now, yeah. your argument about it being too long and slow, I understand that. And I actually agree in how we, people look at things today. But again, since this is not intended for today's audience, it was intended for for an audience that is intended, which is trying to look into this and have that introspective self look. Uh, watching, uh, so the slow scenes are um, at the uh, watching the spa the spaceship dock with the space station with mm -hmm. Blue Danube being played, 
And yes, that was slow, but that was the first time we got to see zero G effects in the film. And so that's essentially what it was intended to show. Oh, this is what they would do. They would try, they would have this whole docking sequence that it would probably take about this long. And also at the same time, people on the ship would be in zero G and the, and the stewardesses would do what they could to keep people comfortable and things like that. So mm-hmm. it's fine. Um, so it's, it was an odd piece at that point. Another slow section is uh is a lot of the of the point on the ship where um dave and uh, frank are sitting there and it's been 18 months they've been on this this uh thing they're bored they mm-hmm. are they're professionals that's what they do oh yeah, but yeah. they're just mm-hmm. they that, so they have long periods of just being bored and waiting for things to happen so um that's intended for that the third really long one is the stargate sequence um, mm-hmm. That was more of intended to be uh, a, 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 a out of body experience for both Dave and for you, um, for you to try to interpret yeah. for the ending. Um, yeah, it I've felt like people- uh, it literally felt like an acid trip. You're talking about and, the ending scene with all those colors, right? Correct. Yeah, and there's yeah. a lot of people say it's a great thing to watch while you're high. I wouldn't know. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's literally what we said at the watch party. It's like I when I when we got to that part of the movie, I was like. Am I on acid right now? What is going on? <laughs> so if you reduce the length of those three sections and maybe a couple other little nips and tip, uh, tucks, you could reduce the length of the movie by maybe an hour. And uh, yeah, you could probably make this uh, a lot faster to go along. But the point of those uh, of those slownesses aren't necessarily there to be... Um, uh, aren't wrong to be there they are actually intended for this kind of for you this uh for this uh slowness also kubrick wanted the movie which didn't have a lot of dialogue he wanted the movie where there was a lot of stuff happening but didn't have to listen to a lot of dialogue. yeah so um, and one yeah. of those examples one of those examples is, is the very first 20 minutes of the movie which i'm gonna go ahead and argue and you can very much disagree with this if you want to um but the first 20 minutes of the movie is basically, in my mind, just a, I, I say low budget, but it's not really. But I call it low budget Planet of the Apes, which, in my opinion, provided, a, a, apart from one aspect, which I'll get into, that that those first 20 minutes of the movie basically provided nothing to the story at all to me personally. You I yeah, I there was uh, there obviously you have the the slab which they which they discover and that's very important um for the store for the story sake, right? It is, is it? But but here's here's my thing is like you could have again, you could have shortened that scene down to the first to like 2 minutes and it would have had the same effect. Like we didn't need a David Attenborough documentary for a space movie. Like I just it, I felt like that those first 20 minutes of the movie were completely unnecessary. So the intention of that first 20 minutes of the movie was to, to bring in a beginning to what is the monolith. The monolith is of course, this big black slab that appears randomly. It seems um, for things that uh, for, uh, for nobody knows why. And so this mystery is what is the monolith and what is it doing? What does it do for us? It in the case of uh, that early proto-human uh, uh, tribe, uh, they were kicked out of uh, uh, out of the watering hole. They were uh, unable to. Uh, uh, they're having a hard time finding uh, food. They're scr- for. They are. They're starving. They're sl- sleeping in huts. 
in, in little caves and they don't know what to do. It's 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 hard times for them. The monolith shows up, at which point, and so of course, something happens where then this tribe, at least one eight one of the eight proto men for this tribe, suddenly figures out that tools are a thing. Mm-hmm. So suddenly they can get themselves as much food as they want from all the various water buffalo or whatever they need to do and they can defend themselves and they can attack to get the control of better territory they can improve their own situation and thus improve their lives um because they know how to use tools and of oh. course this will spread like wildfire okay but how does that how does that have any bearing on the story though like i get that so, i get that that's a great concept and everything but what so, what what significance does that even provide so the, the significance of that is that since the monolith provided the idea of making of uh, basically helping um, Proto Man evolve into the next step, which is using tools, great! It appears again. Why does it appear again? That's the question. Mm. Okay. So it's mostly just saying, "Hey, a long time ago, this has happened, and that's why we are who we are." Then okay. It happens again. Why is it happening again? Now, we didn't know this is what happened a long time ago, but we as the viewer of the movie get the privilege of knowing, oh, yeah, this is not the first time something sure. interesting is happening. And, here. and, and so. again, I'm not going to completely argue that it should be removed from the movie. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying, though, is you can you can shorten that you can shorten that down to five minutes. We don't need all of these establishing shots like I we get it. We're, we're in a deserted area. There's a there's a bunch of apes. They discover they discover tool the ability to make tools. We get it. Like we don't need 20 minutes dedicated to it. It can be done in two to five minutes. Okay, <laughs> that would have been really abrupt in two to five minutes. But okay, whatever. Okay, yeah, no, and, and, yeah, we can agree to disagree on that. But yeah, totally. <laughs> but uh, but I will say, um, but yeah, and so here's the thing, like, because you talk about that monolith, right? Like. Mm-hmm. I still am trying to figure out, like, because am I wrong? Like, it's not really fully explained, per se, why this monolith is here, like, what the significance is. Is that left to the viewer to figure out, or is that sort of, or or, or is there a motive behind it, and I'm just not picking up on it? So it is explicitly not explained by Kubrick until like very late into his old age. He did to kind of give an explanation, but okay. uh, the explanation he gave, a lot of people were like, oh man, it was worse than, you know, everybody's thought up explanations. And so sure. it, I would argue uh, you should have your own headcanon. Uh, if you wish to listen to what Kubrick, you know, Kubrick said about this, um, that's fine. Now, interestingly enough, this was written. Uh, based off of a uh, off of a short story by Arthur C. Clarke, but it is different from that story. Uh, but the, this movie was co-written between Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke. Mm. The sequel, t- 2010, and all the book sequels, t- 2061, 3001, etc., were not uh, in any way related to Kubrick's vision of the film. So if you want to stay within the Kubrick-verse, 2001 is it. Now, if mm. you wish to expand upon that, and you want to watch, for example, 2010, which uh, expands upon the story. Okay. Um, uh, it does start to try to explain more without, you know, being more of that interspectral, what does it mean to you kind of thing. So, yeah. Uh, I, and, I'm, so, and, I'm, and I'm interested to find out, like, because, yeah, some people have suggested that I cover uh, 2010. And, and honestly, it, 
if what I'm if what I'm hearing about it is true, uh, and actually in our Cinemavention channel in Discord, discord.cinemavention.com, uh, it was actually brought up as a possible option to also watch. And and B. Coford actually makes a good point. Uh, it makes slightly more sense than 2001 and explains a couple of things. So, oh, yes. so here's what I'm wondering is like, I almost wonder if 2010 would be a better experience for me personally, because I have to imagine the pacing has probably been, is probably a little better on it too, To um, but I, I haven't seen it yet, so I wouldn't know. So uh, I would recommend that uh, you do watch it, but um, okay. uh, but I I also recommend, this is the kind of movie that if you, that you would need to watch again somewhere, sometime late in your life to see if you can get another uh, another clear view of this movie eventually. Now, I can understand, mm-hmm. totally makes sense, your first viewing this movie is r- really rough, and it's really hard, mm-hmm. and it takes a lot out of you. But if you take a moment to step back and say, man, this is good music, I'll let this, this slow scene go by and enjoy the music. Man, this is a really weird thing, I don't quite understand what is the director trying to say here. Uh, try to do a little bit of that for this film. You will be rewarded uh, for it in the long run. That being said, I do like 2010 um, I think that it's a uh, the the storyline in particular of Hal and what ha- is happening there mm. is really well expanded upon. Okay. The other side of the story, which is the monolith and what does it mean, mm-hmm. is also expanded upon, but it's slightly different than what Kubrick's vision was. That's okay. Um, it's it's its own movie. It doesn't hurt the first movie in any way, shape, or form. Sure, the point sure. Point is that, and also the pacing is better, and there's more dialogue, and there's that, and it, it, it's good. There's, okay. uh, there's there's nothing wrong with it. So, All right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe uh, maybe check it out. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We might uh, we'll, we might uh, visit 2010 in a future episode. Uh, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Uh, but it's funny you mentioned that the monolith, right? And. And it reminded me of a story uh, back in 2020. This is a couple of years ago where someone actually found a an actual real life monolith just randomly in the Utah desert. Right. Yep. And it and it was this and it was this big story for like a minute. And then like nobody ever like followed up on it or did any more research or anything. Right. Like, do we know whatever came about of that? Um, Like because nobody really followed up on it. Like. I, I found like on Wikipedia, it mentions like, you know, a couple of people who found it, who are, you know, who actually have possession of it evidently, and then uh, handed it over to some authority or something. I remember the story vaguely. I don't remember exactly how it resolved. Wasn't that found in the desert and then it disappeared randomly in the desert? Then it yeah. showed up in another place randomly around the world and it disappeared again. Well, there, and well, was, there was other. Uh, so apparently from my, from the little research I did on this, uh, evidently other artists were erecting similar monoliths and were actually taking credit for it. Gotcha. We still to this day have no idea um, who is behind that, like why they why they buried it um and 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 the people who actually took the monolith themselves actually did like a video like a live stream basically showing like hey we're the guys that took it and like apparently had some evidence of it like in the background like it was intact or whatever like it wasn't destroyed Mm -hmm. like some people thought but yeah it's this weird like it's this weird thing that just randomly popped out of nowhere like Apparently four years ago, evidently, because that's how far back it, it shows up on like Google Earth history, I guess. Right. And yeah, no, and and apparently to this day, we still don't know who's behind that 
um, yep, it's behind it's, it. It's a form of performance art, and the correct thing they did was to make it anonymous, so you have to interpret yourself. Was it an artist? Was it some weird thing somebody just found that's just been there? Is it aliens? I mean, you don't know. What is this yeah. thing? And that's And that's wonderful because that is the point of that kind of art. And yeah. that's similar to this is what is this big black monolith in the movie? Where did it come from? What uh, What does it mean? What does it do? And each yeah. one does something different. So Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, in this BBC article, they even mentioned that they even speculate that uh, that it could be an artist who, quote, was a fan of 2001 A Space Odyssey. So, very like, much. yeah, and, and, and it very much probably, I, I have to imagine it took inspiration from it because the, the whole concept of it just randomly showing up like that is very much a 2001 trope to me, right? So I have to imagine that that had to have play, played some sort of role in that, right? Like, I gotta, yep. right? You, I'm certain that the 2001 it's too easy whenever you see a uh, uh, a a flat slab of some kind uh, you're going to probably have somebody say this is somehow related to um, somebody at 2001 so mm-hmm. and there are there are lots of uh, interesting interpretations uh, uh, of uh, the black slab that uh, we can get into maybe near the, closer to the end of our discussion here yeah absolutely um Here's here's another issue that I have and you and we kind of um we kind of alluded to it but the ending of this movie you mentioned you you even admit that this could have been a lot shorter because we spend like I I I looked at the uh timestamp of this movie this this scene like all these sequences start like 30 40 minutes into the movie and it's a good solid like 35 minutes of like of of because because Dave powers down ha- ha- um Hal basically, and mm-hmm. you know and you have and and he's basically powering down Hal and like stopping him from, uh, and Hal's trying to stop him from doing so right because you begging know, him to stop right yeah he's absolutely him to stop and and like I mentioned like it just it feels like I'm on an acid trip and it and he's just kind of like crash landing into essentially best way I can describe it is a room with lights on the bottom and with multiple versions of his older self. And, and you notice okay. he actually like kind of ages progressively very fast. Right. Um, let's, let's, let's very briefly, there is a lot that happens between him being shut, Hal being shut down and him and Dave entering the weird, weird white room. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. let that, it's important that you have this because as he finishes shutting down Hal, um, finally, he finds out what the mission's uh, actual mission is because a video starts playing from uh, the guy at the beginning of the movie and the, the guy the guy who's uh, was on the space station that we are following. Uh, it tells them that what they're there to do is to find out what uh, is going on at Jupiter because they found this mysterious monolith on the moon. And when they were there with it, it didn't do anything except for send a powerful transmission going to Jupiter. And they don't know what it is, but it seems alien. We want to know what's going on. We're not going to tell anybody until you get there. And because he shut down Hal, he's got to find out halfway there about or whereabouts. And mm-hmm. so he found out that he's actually going to investigate uh, what this alien signal is all about. Um, when he gets there, he notices he's alone now, by the way. Everybody else is dead. 
Hal isn't there. He finishes getting there on his own because that's because he's a good soldier or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but he well, or that or you know how hard it would be for him to turn around. He probably needs a slingshot effect to turn himself around from. Uh, yeah. From, yeah. Uh, so to make that happen. But he gets all the way back uh, there and he gets out on a pod because he sees another giant monolith in space and he mm-hmm. tries to go touch it. At which point when he gets t- when he touches it, he gets sucked into this portal. Which is the the long effect where a bunch of lights and colors get a flash in his eyes, but also other than lights and colors, he sees stars and universes and oceans and land masses and weird stuff that's alien to him, but still he's starting to make sense a little bit to him. And you're supposed to interpret: is he fi- understanding something alien? We don't know. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. but eventually he finds himself in this white room, mm-hmm. and so he gets out and he looks around. And he sees himself and he looks at himself. He, they basically lock eyes for a second, at which point he becomes his older self. Right. Yeah. And, and every and time he ha- every time he looks at himself, every time like he looks at himself, he gets older. He breaks um, the wine glass. He gets older. And then yep. the last moment, rather than getting older, he turns into a fetus, <laughs> which is <laughs> the, the most random baby. thing. And that's how the movie ends is it's he's just a fetus. And that's where it ends. It just abruptly ends right there. So uh, the, the, before that happens, he is old, feeble, basically almost dying in bed. Mm-hmm. And he looks down and he sees at the foot of his bed, the monolith one last time. And he reaches for it. At which point he from his point of view and the cam- he becomes the camera and the camera zooms into the blackness of the monolith. At which point. He is then the the movie ends with somebody, presumably Dave, uh, is is a a baby, a reborn, a rebirth of sorts in space, able to see the Earth from where he is. Is he floating in space? Is is he a giant baby as big as Earth? There's no perspective. We don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, he's a space baby at that point. And the movie ends with uh, with uh, this space baby looking at you with its giant blue eyes. <laughs> like, what a weird way to end this movie, right? It's like you go on this like weird acid trip. Like, I-, I don't know. Like, I have to imagine uh, people were smoking something uh, when they oh, were yeah. making the end of this movie because it is just a weird ending. And it makes like it really doesn't make any sense. Right. Like, I mean, like, of course, there's like theories and stuff that you can possibly present right right? but fundamentally speaking it makes no sense at all uh, again again this is not intended for you for it to make sense necessarily it's intended for you to interpret so it's like an artist's rendition of something that doesn't (sighs) make sense it's intended for you to say what does this mean to you because you're watching this and go what does this mean to you seeing dave who is (sighs) <sighs> been through the strange experience now sees through new young eyes the earth the earth what does that yeah. mean to you to for him and i don't know what it means either I, yeah. <laughs> most people don't know what it means That's i just not the point. I, I just i have a problem with it because in my mind i just interpret as the audience needs to inter uh, need to, needs to interpret for themselves i interpret i i translate that to mean lazy writing i, I i'm sorry uh, like i just i can't i i, I can i cannot like, give me give me something to work with here. I can't just nope. guess random stuff. Like, I just that just doesn't work. My brain doesn't compute like that. Okay, in the movie Inception, is he is he uh, in the in the dream or out of the dream? I I don't know. I haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, you haven't. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. 
Okay. Uh, in the uh, in the, the the movie High Noon, uh, is he uh, walking away? Is he is he uh, riding away in the sunset alive or is he dead? Again, haven't seen it. <laughs> it is up for you to interpret what's going on here because it's left open for interpretation. Now, this movie's level of interpretation is blown wide open. It is intended for a huge, you don't know how this actually ended uh, versus these other movies, which is like, oh, it could be this. It could be that, which is a little bit easier. But yeah, this one, this is way heavy art film. Hey, this you get to have your own interpretation of this end of this film, um, however you f- see fit to, to feel about it. And so, yeah, I, right. I totally understand that it doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. OK, fair enough. Um, I, I will say, and you mentioned this earlier about, um, you know, you have that space docking scene, like there's a bunch of establishing shots in like this movie and like they were honestly, yeah, they were for the most part, they were, they were kind of too long. Like I don't need five minutes of establishing, establishing shots to figure out where I am. Like I just, I don't, you know? Okay. Uh, back then think of how, uh, you know. Yeah, uh, you know, of the audience at the time, this is again aimed at a different, uh, different time period for people. For sure. So back then, this was all movie magic. This was all, oh, how would they do that? Oh, they would spin it at this, like this, and the ship would have to figure out how to get lined up and spin at the same uh, rate in order to dock into the space station without hitting anything. That makes a lot of sense, you know. Right. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that nowadays in our science fiction, we're like, whatever. That's you know, well, computer will figure it out. Press the button. It's fine. Docking systems go. Um, but at the same time, um, uh, if you've ever played Microsoft Space Simulator 1.0, it's the first thing you do is you're landing on a circular space station like that, and you have to get the correct uh, 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 rotation in order for you to dock on the space station. And by the way, it's playing Blue Danube while it's doing it. Yeah, of course, right? <laughs> of course. I remember that game. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, here we go. Thanks, Microsoft. <laughs> Probably definitely took some inspiration from 2001. Totally. I will totally. say one of the one of the one of the folks in the watch party actually. I mean, they were make they're kind of making a joke, right? But they but they made a good point that like there's too much leg room on these space flights. Like if if you, you compare it to like airline flights, like you know the spacing is is not accurate. However, I've thought about it a little bit more, and here's here's what I've come up with is if you're on a space flight. I have to imagine that costs a lot of money, even in 2001. Mm-hmm. So you probably have the money for first class seats if you if you are also on a space flight, right? So I, I actually didn't find that too um, too crazy, honestly. Well, uh, it's, 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 so the space station in space that they are going to is a luxury hotel. It's yeah. actually multiple luxury hotels. It's got the Hilton on it, yeah, and it's Hilton, got the Howard yeah. Johnson on it. Mm-hmm. It's got the, both of the, both of those hotels are sections of that uh, hotel, and they're building on it on it to increase it uh, to make it so they go. What boggles my mind is that he's the only guy on this flight. I would imagine so. They're, so they're, what they're trying to basically say here is that this is normal, and this is a slow time, and this is the off season, and nobody goes at this time. But uh, uh, but uh, this guy is going up and he's just taken, you know, he's, you know, he gets military pay grade. So he gets a fine, nice seat, right. <laughs> or he gets paid. Yeah, maybe he yeah. is being paid for coach in the back, whatever the case is. It's zero G. He doesn't care. Oh uh, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Interesting so. that they, uh, interesting that they don't show the only time they show zero gravity is when they're outside of the spaceship, which I'm again, I'm pretty sure that's not how that works, but <laughs> you know, like inside of spaceships, like gotta be like, 
strapped down in order to not be moving around constantly, I guess. Uh, I wh- which point do you mean that? I, I just mean when they're inside of the spacecraft. I, I mean, because obviously when you're in space, you're going to be floating around and stuff, right? Okay. But yeah. but yeah, like well, inside the spacecraft, that's that's the biggest area where I'm well, like... Well, the, the, the centrifuge room, that that is spinning. So it's making its own artificial gravity. Oh, so that okay, room, yeah. That one is spinning. Fair, and that yes, is the yes. idea, intention of that. So you wouldn't be making that. It is interesting that when they are in other sections of the room, for there's a great shot where they are both um, standing on two different planes, one you can, they're at ninety degrees at each other, and mm-hmm. uh, they're you can, one is point basically standing straight at the camera, while the other one is standing straight uh, up and to, to the camera, and uh, they're both working on. You know, I think it looks like the cockpit of, of the Discovery where they're doing this. They d- made that shot by using a giant mirror. It's just a normal. Mm-hmm. practical illusion but uh it is another one of their shots where they wanted to show you how it doesn't uh, that yes they're in zero gravity uh every time they go through that long tube and they are walking through it and then soon you know as soon as they get to the end and there's the spinning part at the end um you can see that oh okay they, they've, they've they've transitioned to the other part there and they do this great transition from the camera spinning or not but not from our point of view so it looks correct to uh from our point of view in the movie mm-hmm. um so they they the the level of detail they put into that is amazing to try to convey that there's parts of the ship where they have artificial gravity by with, with a the, basically a centrifuge and uh with where they don't where you could still float around so yeah yeah so the the epidemic on the moon that they that they reference at the <laughs> very beginning Mm-hmm. We're not given much information about it at first um, because um, because uh, uh, Dr. Floyd is talking with some people in the Hilton Lounge, actually. Uh, the Germans, the Germans have just finished yeah. uh, 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 doing a six month uh, uh, look <laughs> at their uh, their antenna system and they've on mm-hmm. their space. And so mm-hmm. they have their own uh, a space port on the moon. Right. And, right. Uh, they are apparently those people were there to do that. And they ask the, him, hey. Uh, is this an epidemic? Because this is what we're hearing. We mm-hmm. should know about this. And of course, he says, "I can't talk about that." Yeah, that's. And, but part- when he get, but when he gets into the room, he gets in there and he explains to everybody, "That's our cover story." Because yeah. we found the monolith and uh, we're sticking to it because we—it's the best story we have right now. Yeah, of not letting anybody get here. And uh, but we don't want anybody to start freaking out that we found something alien. Yeah, because it's classified information. Yeah. And and like you said, they get into this like meeting that's kind of looks almost like a NATO meeting. It, it, it's it's a it's a quote unquote council meeting, per se, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever the council is. Right. And it's like and here's the-, the thing, like th- this this movie, like there, there's no other appearance of the council at any other point in this movie. There's seemingly no reference to a quote unquote epidemic on the moon at all in the rest of the movie. Nope. And and if I may, and if I may, I'd like to use my Alex Jones impression to say this because it's just like every government institution. They're trying to hide it from the public's knowledge. And and you can't tell me otherwise. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, in this case, yes, they are trying to hide it from the public's knowledge. Yes, it is a cover up mm-hmm. that uh that council room is just uh, all the head scientists that are in that state at that station because they are all sworn to secrecy about what they found and what's going on. So they have to tell everybody that they're having some type of an epidemic and they don't want to have it uh, spread. So nobody can leave. Nobody can talk about it, anything. And everything is well monitored in order to keep the secret. Uh, so you don't hear anything more about the epidemic because it's all a, ho- a hoax. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, no. So, but it does have something to do with the monolith. 
No, no, the, the epidemic is totally the cover-up. It literally is, hey, this is what we told anybody. I understand you guys may not like this is the way we did it. The oh, game says, okay. you may not agree with our way of doing this by using this uh, epidemic as the way okay. of covering this up, but I'm not hearing any objections in the room. And then uh, kind of think one guy has a question about, you know, it would be nice to be able to talk to our Interesting. Okay. So, whatever the case is. So so it's it, a cover-up for the actual... Is a cover-up. Okay. Interesting. Because again, their their worry is if they got out that there is a monolith, a people would freak out. What mm-hmm. kind of panic would that cause? B, uh, maybe the Germans would come and invade or do something, or Russians or whomever. Maybe yeah. the, you know somebody would, would might want to suddenly want a piece of this, and you know Mer- the 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 Americans they they found it. They they want to know what's going on. So totally, they're hiding it because they want the they want to know what's going on before anybody else does. Mm. And they also want mm-hmm. to introduce this in a way that's not going to cause uh, too much global panic. That so that's the current plan is it's an epidemic. We're just going to keep things locked down for now while we're figuring out what's going on here. And the Germans who asked, what is going on? If it's an epidemic, we should know about this. And, he, and his answer is, I can't talk about that, which is the mm-hmm. great line because it's not an epidemic. But he made him think it is by saying, I can't talk about it. So. Right. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So this this is a minor point. I, I will. Mm-hmm. I, but I but I have to bring this up. Right. Because. I ran cross country in junior high and high school for six years. And when they have, there's that scene where the astronaut is doing like a running workout in the spaceship. Basically. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that I never would. I never punched the air with my hands while I was running like that runner was doing like, why is there a significance to that? Like, is that for some reason, like, is that a special thing they have to do in space? I don't get it. Well, there is no um, nothing in there that says that maybe he also wasn't a boxer and he's just doing yeah. practicing his jabs. We don't know why he's doing it other than he's just running. And maybe he, they actually gave him instructions that you also need to work those arms because they'll go atrophy in low gravity. So go ahead and work them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so who knows why he's doing it? The more the more important point is that he is doing exercise to try to keep himself healthy. So mm-hmm. that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, honestly, now, I'm, uh, if yeah. you're doing cross country and you're doing a, <laughs> uh, they'll probably disqualify you for you know, uh, you know, trying to hit other pl- uh, runners. So <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, no, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a good idea. Yeah, yeah, no. It, it, honestly, that was my first thought too. Was like, oh, maybe he's a boxer, but yeah, no, he's just running around and everything. Like he's not like training for a boxing fight or anything. He's just doing running. Although um, that is something that. Although that is something that you do for boxing. Apparently running, uh, doing like marathons and stuff is an actual part of training in boxing. So, you know, I, I, it's not too far off for me though, but it was just weird how they did that. It was like, he's just randomly punching the air while he's running. I just, I can't see myself doing that ever, (laughs) but I, I've been getting, I've been giving a lot of criticism about this movie I, okay. do, I do. I do. Appre- I do appreciate what they got right, though, about this movie. So, oh, yeah. So the space station elevator um, that everyone rides, and, and they're and when they're greeted, they're asked to watch like basically an identification video or something. And of course, there's multiple languages that can be chosen from. Like, very much that is t- totally realistic. I mean, the 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 way that they executed it might be a little off, but the concept Voice is very much technology. real. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The concept is very much real. Um, 
there are some questions about how you'd be able to connect with someone in space over satellite without like a massive delay. And there's a few other logistical problems. However, the call that Dr. Floyd has with his daughter is basically (laughs) FaceTime or Skype, right? Like they basically got it right. Although in 2001, those two services weren't a thing. So it probably would have been like, I don't know, AOL video chat or something like that back in the day. Assuming you even had the bandwidth for it back then too, right? Right. So, but again, this is the, uh, the uh, directors and the, and the writers saying, what would the future be like? That's what a lot of this section is about. Um, Oh, the future would be uh, you having to identify yourself with your voice, because mm-hmm. obviously if you know your voice, your nationality, your birth date, and you can say your name correctly and it matches your voice. It's a pretty good match of who you are nowadays. Yeah. You probably can figure out ways of uh, faking that. But back yeah. then it was like, this would be super easy to do. I would mean, would be really easy to do that. Yeah. Um, the video call to home um, was uh, just, you know, uh, beforehand we had uh, like, the uh, picture phone at the world's fair so mm-hmm. this is a, not necessarily the brand newest thing that people have ever seen but it does uh mean that now this is something pretty commonplace this is so commonplace that he can call home and his daughter answers and his daughters uh says hi dad very young mm-hmm. where's mom we went out where who's taking care of this lady where's she in the shower <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> okay let just let mom know that i called all right yeah (laughs) yeah that's important uh but 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 from that aspect right it's like they got video calling absolutely right dead on the nose like they got it right except for the fact that it cost a dollar 70 for that call which is kind of absurd however it is space so you know i could see you know this is revolutionary communication so maybe they would charge a cost per call and even phone companies were charging by the minute for cell phone plans still in 2001. Yeah, well, we didn't but, have unlimited talk. Well, like we in do now. 1968, for you to call outside your area was a huge charge. Oh, yeah. Nowadays, every, I mean, nowadays you can call them nationwide. It doesn't cost you a thing because part of your plan. But calling a, a, neighbor, a, a town next door could have cost you 10 cents, 25 cents a minute back yeah. then because it was not cheap. So the idea of, and also, Back uh, at that time, uh, a, going to the movies might have cost you uh, a quarter to go to see the most recent movie. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of a, of a video call that lasted four minutes to cost you $1.70 is mind-blowing money at that time. It's like, oh, oh my yeah. God, it's so expensive. But nowadays we look at that and we go, oh, okay, it's no problem. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but it, and again, it's like 2001, right? Like if it, was, if it was 2010 and they were doing this, like, yeah, I'd have a problem with it. But but again, but yeah, it's 2001, you know, phone companies were still charging for minutes back then. So I can honestly, I can honestly see that being actually realistic, honestly. <laughs> you know? I thought they did a really good job of uh, doing that. And the, uh, the conversation was cute and, uh, and, mm-hmm, and it made sense mm-hmm. of that. And the little girl just had to press the button to hang up and pick up the yeah, phone. Mm-hmm. It was really easy to do. So yeah, totally made yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think they got that spot on. Did you notice that they also had iPads in this? uh, No, I didn't notice that. So whenever, uh, both in the space station and also on the Discovery, they have these pads that they're walking around and they play when and then they end up placing them somewhere on a table or something. And uh, in the movie, in the direction of the movie, what they did in order to make those uh, start working is they actually had to do a projection from an out, from outside the view of the camera and literally oh. project onto the, the the little black slab in order to show the video on it. But oh, you, you would okay. literally 
it was a black slab. And a lot of people credit this movie to say they had the iPad before anybody else did. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. Uh, f- fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I, and even in 2001, you had tablet PCs, right? Like that mm-hmm. was very much a thing. Right. So, so yeah, again, they got it right. Yeah. Like, um, here's an interesting question though, about, uh, latency though. And, and I bring this up again, because why was, why was Dr. Floyd able to talk to his daughter instantaneously? But when BBC 12 was interviewing the crew, which side note, I love how they're at BBC 12 at this point, they're kind of <laughs> making a slight jab at BBC for having so many channels, but yeah, regardless, absolutely. Uh, but regardless, uh, they're interviewing the crew. And it would take five minutes for a response from them because of the satellite delay. And also, um, I think Dave was it Dave that was celebrating a birthday and his parents called. No, that would that would have been Frank. Oh, oh, Frank. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. but but either way, it's uh, like it, it, it takes them five minutes for a response because of the satellite delay. So they don't even try to you know have a conversation. They just do like a pre-recorded thing, basically. Right. So and, that's because when you're on the space station, it's go, uh, uh, going around Earth. How long? If you ever know anybody that's used satellite Internet, the mm-hmm. uh, latency on that is in the milliseconds, sure, which is still sure. very much very doable. And if you have, you know, good satellite Internet like Starlink, it's really good, like in the 50 millisecond range. And so but those are low Earth orbit. But still, the technology is constantly improving. Mostly the problem is the speed of light. How long does it take to go from one point to another? Because radios go radio waves tend to go at the speed of light. Mm-hmm. So how long does it take for a, a a radio wave to go from the surface of the earth to a space station? It might be just half a second, which is enough for yeah. you to have a real conversation. Uh, right now in our current conversation here, we might have a little bit of a delay and we're doing just fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But when you are talking about somebody who's 18 months on their way to Jupiter, that's a lot longer for it to take. Oh, yeah. For that to that, that go out. When we send a message to Mars, for example, for one of the rovers, uh, we send the message and then we sit and wait for it, hopefully, to them to get it, and for the rover to get it, and then hopefully send back what it, what it did about the command yeah. you sent. You know, honestly, <laughs> that wasn't the part that, like, and, and honestly, that wasn't the realist, uh, unrealistic part for me is, like, you know, take, if, if taking five minutes delay when they're, like, on the mission to Jupiter. That actually wasn't the that actually was convincing for me. Like I, I completely understand that the part that I don't understand is that there's so, there's so little latency when they're on the, uh, on the space flight. That's like uh, the fact that there was so little delay on that is actually more of where I was like, hold up, wait a second. That doesn't seem right. Like the, 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 space- Ju- the Jupiter latency, I completely understand. So right. you mean on their way, the eighteen months right, on their way right, at right. that point? Well, if if uh, if uh, uh, so, uh, we got somebody in the chat who helps us to remind us. Uh, thank you, Wermel Three, uh, reminds us that right now the latency to uh, Mars is about seven minutes. So mm-hmm. if you're halfway to Jupiter, let's just say they're about halfway. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot further than Mars. So uh, yeah, uh, that would be a long, and maybe they've got improved technology nowadays. Uh, we're, we're with quantum, you know, the uh, entanglement and things like that. We're hoping to have faster than light communications. That's a future thing right now. If you are able to split an atom and take those two atoms in two different spots and you do something to add, uh, to the first atom that and shake it some way, the other one will faster than the speed of light also shake exact same way. This is quantum entanglement happening in, in our physical space. Uh, that could allow us to have faster than light communications in the future, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
uh, and but based on the technology they're talking about now, it's the speed of light is the is the limit. So there are five minutes worth of speed of light away. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, and and again, that that completely makes sense. It's just that initial communication that Doctor Floyd had with his daughter that was instantaneous. That was like because I don't because he's that. not very far from the Earth. He's on the space station or going around the Earth. Okay, it's not that far. All right, fair enough. Uh, so here's something that I do appreciate is that. In a lot of movies, aliens in particular, you can hear all the sound that's going on in space, most famously in Star Wars. There's all kinds of noises that you wouldn't be able to hear if it was actually Laser in space. Laser blasts and explosions in space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But in this movie, you when you're in space, you actually cannot hear anything. The audio goes completely mute whenever they show shots of of the, of space. Like apart from like background music, that mm-hmm. may be the only time you actually ever hear anything or you or you'll hear like um, or you'll hear stuff that's happening inside the astronauts suits at the time, particularly uh, the breathing that they are doing, which is which is something that was interesting because it reminded me of sort of the Darth Vader <laughs> sort of a bre- um, breathing that happens in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And and it, and it totally sounds like Darth Vader. Yes, I know Star Wars didn't come out for another 10 years and probably wasn't even on George Lucas's mind at this moment. But still, it very know. much sounded like that to me, you know? Uh, so what you're hearing is the breathing of the person that we're actually having the cameras eye of at the moment. Most of the time is Dave. Mm-hmm. So when Dave is out and he's doing his uh, extra EVA, extra activity, um, where he is out and he is trying to do the thing to repair the ship, whatever it is, um, you're hearing him breathe because obviously he would hear himself breathe within his suit. Um, that works just fine. And the breathing in, is uh, a, a great device to get, bring up a little bit of stress because the breathing is not exactly the most clean breathing you've ever heard. He's not, he's not a, a state of bliss or anything like that. He's breathing and he's working hard and he's trying to, but it's not the point where he's panicking. It's just enough of a heavy breath to make you go, Ooh, okay. Something, you know, this is not, you know, the easiest thing in the world to do, which is good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I want to end uh, this conversation by talking about HAL, because mm. if you think about it, HAL 9000 is basically IBM Watson, essentially. Like, in, in Interesting. Fact, uh, that's, that was the correlation that I had. And in fact, I think IBM was working on supercomputers and perhaps was working on Watson in 2001. Right. So that was the that was the correlation that I had personally. I don't know. So interestingly enough, uh, IBM appears in this movie a couple of times. You actually see yeah. the IBM logo at a couple of places. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but also there is the theory of that. Hal is actually an IBM computer. And mm-hmm. the theory goes like this. What is the letter, first letter of Hal? H. What's the next letter? A. In the alphabet. In the alphabet. Oh, in the alphabet. Uh, L. No. H. Oh, well, wait, hold on. What do you, hold on. Next so letter in, in. So in the alphabet, I go, go to H and then what's the next letter? Uh, oh, I, oh, I see. Okay. So I thought you were talking letter about of in Hal, Hal is A. Got it. Next letter in, in Hal is A. What's the next letter? Oh, oh, I see where you're going with this now. B and then L M. Hmm. Yes. So this, according to uh, uh, Kubrick, this is a huge coincidence. <laughs> uh, Mm, I don't know said, if I buy that. <laughs> uh, you know, that being said, there's a lot of people who think that yeah, this is uh, a, a a nice way to 
poke fun a little bit at IBM without making them upset. They, uh, IBM in the long run is fine. There's not a big deal about it, but it is all, uh, very much, uh, there's evidence that shows that this is probably, uh, the thought of what, what could happen if IBM, if IBM computers got too powerful. Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, when you, Hal is being de- deactivated at the end, he asks if he went to hear him sing a song and he sings, a. Uh, a song Daisy I forget the name of the song exactly but yeah, this yeah. is a song that a one of the very first talking computers made by M would sing as a demonstration that was what it, the, yeah. one of their first things so they used that so Arthur C Clarke used that song as an both an as an homage uh, of what this uh, of early supercomputers yeah and it's interesting too yeah and, I, and I'm glad you brought that up because yeah it's interesting because because Hal kind of takes over all of the space station controls because he can he can read uh, he can read mouths like he can read uh, what they're saying, even though right. the mics have been cut and he can't hear anything per se. Right. So Hal is jo- job is basically to run the ship mm-hmm. and he he is uh, he knows that he cannot do uh, he has uh, never had anything go wrong. Mm-hmm. He also knows that uh, humans are fallible. Mm-hmm. And he knows that uh, that uh, that uh, that he knows what the mission is when nobody else does. So everybody else will supposed to find out what the meeting mission is once they get there. But mm-hmm. he knows what it is when nobody else does. Well, he is uh, um, visiting with Dave. Uh, he's talking about the mission, and he's and, you know a lot of rumors and doesn't know what it means. And uh, why does how does it make you feel about this? And Dave says. Are you working on your psyche evaluation? Mm-hmm. At which point, immediately he says, "Wait a minute, wait a minute." Yeah, just a moment. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a failure of this antenna in exactly seventy-two hours. Also, apparently, also, also apparently, Hal does have emotions, evidently, because he's scared of going on the mission with the crew, and like you mentioned, he could apparently sing, which is interesting. Well, no, there. Uh, Hal does not show any emotion in any point in the film, except for at the end of the film, where he yeah, is, yeah, yeah, where mm-hmm. he says, "Please don't turn me off. Please don't. I'm afraid, Dave." He yeah, it's the first time you hear. Yeah, and he, an he also, yeah, he also is like, "I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't let you do that." <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave. So, I'm afraid I can't do that. And, and, and interesting, open the remi- pop day doors, doors, Hal. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me a lot. Oh, that's another good line too. Open the pod bay doors. Like that's a. That's very much uh, a uh, so lots of people use that to as a uh, command word to open their garage doors. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it stemmed from this movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. But uh, but it reminds me a little bit of like you know because Hal taking over everything and uh, you know it, it, it very much like you know because because Hal's taking over the spaceship. Everyone is like Hal is you know seemingly never wrong and you know. But Mission Control is arguing um, that Hal is wrong and like uh, about the part breaking, by the way, which I guess did turn out to be true. Right. It did. It was going to break. So what Hal does is says he says this part is going to break. Mm -hmm. And they say, okay, And and he suggests what we do is we go and we get it replaced because that's what, you know, if if the part's going to fail, go ahead and let's replace it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, they said, let's do that. But let's also call Mission Control and see what they say. And they say, we concur with the uh, HAL 9000. Uh, you should probably replace it. Okay, over and out. Roger, over mm-hmm. and over. Uh, so they go out. Dave goes out. It's I guess it's his turn. Go out. He gets it. He replaces it. He pulls the unit back. And he tests it. 
and he cannot find anything wrong with it. Mm-hmm. At which point Hal is now in an in- interesting predicament because he he's a Hal. He's never wrong. He mm-hmm. can't be wrong. So the only thing that makes sense to his brain is that this is human error. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it reminds me, like, that entire sequence kind of reminded me of, you know, how people say that AI one day will rise up and rule the world and take over and everything, right? And it's weird because it's like, because it, Hal is kind of ruthless when it comes to shutting down the ship's operations and effectively kills everyone on the ship, essentially, right. including those who are in those hibernation pods, which is right. interesting because just like aliens, you have another example of, you know, them using hibernation pods while traveling through space as sort of a way to like, I don't know, sort of quote unquote speed up time for those people, I guess. So the interview with BBC, they say they did that in order to uh, reduce the amount of resources being used by the crew. They, mm-hmm. were, they kept uh, those two awake in case they needed to do anything. But the other three, that just reduces uh, 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 their needs to pack food and water and all that stuff by three-fifths of their entire mission by having those three people already in, in hibernation. Um, so, But uh, Hal, when he... Uh, uh, so moving on real quickly with the story, Hal decides that, um, okay, well, what I think you should do is go ahead and put the uh, unit back and let it fail. And uh, so they said, okay, well, we'll, we'll let's uh, discuss that. And let's also talk to uh, Mission Control. Mission Control says, how this is, uh, doesn't make sense. This, uh, so we've not seen uh, 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 what, how how has um, come to this conclusion. Um, so, um, because our, 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 our duplicate machine over here does not come to this conclusion. Um we do agree with the plan. Go ahead and replace it and let it fail. And so that can happen. Uh, so Frank and Dave agree. They say, they say hey, uh, let's. Uh, I need to test something out. Can we uh, go have a, a chat over here in the pod? Sure, let's go chat in the pod. And so they get into the pod and they, uh, they said, turn the pod how, around, Hal. Okay, no problem. Then they turn off all the, uh, the radios in the pod and it says, uh, turn the pod again, Hal. And Hal can't hear him. So he doesn't turn, turn him around. Turn him around says okay i think we're safe here they have this discussion importantly what they say is let's go ahead and finish uh, do what's being recommended let's replace uh the patent the device device and let's see if it fails if pal is proven wrong then he something is wrong with Hal, and we have to disconnect him and they agree to that okay mm-hmm. so the plan is from their point of view we're going to go ahead and go ahead and replace it not try to upset Hal in any way and just say this is what we're doing this normal stuff but at which point we have a point where it, it's clearly something is Hal would have to be able to re- realize there is, a po- you know, that he is what pr- the problem is. So he, uh, we, we'd said we'd have to re- dis- disconnect him. And he's, they, they mentioned inside that little meeting, he, the, his record is correct. He's never been wrong. They've never had a, 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 a Hal robot be incorrect about anything. Mm-hmm. But as we know, Hal with his giant eye, uh, is able to see those lips being moved, and he is able to read the lips mm-hmm. and knows that those two are plotting possibly to kill him, or not kill, disconnect him. Right. Which he sees as uh, continuing uh, uh, human error. You know, he's seeing this as, oh, this is obviously um, uh, this evolving for the, where this is going to be a problem where um, no matter what, uh, uh, the, these humans are starting to cause issues mm-hmm. uh, here. So 
once uh if it's now frank's turn to go out so frank goes out and hal kills frank he pulls his his uh he takes control of the pod yeah. Pulls his oxygen tube. See, that's what's crazy to me is that the fact that it takes like, <laughs> like he, he goes to this extreme measure of killing everyone as retaliation almost, and that's what's that's what's scary, right? Right. Yeah. So they, uh, the reason why he he, he well, so for, uh, uh, Dave goes out to try to retrieve uh, to save uh, uh, Frank because he doesn't know if he's actually dead or not, but he's dead. He. Uh, tries to uh come back and hal says um he yeah, tries to get back again hal says i'm afraid i can't do that the first time he's basically tells uh dave that you know you're the problem not mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. he doesn't tell he doesn't at that time tell uh, uh uh dave that he's killed the rest of the crew but he does say that this is a problem that has to do with him uh you know <laughs> being uh the problem he says that, that since it's asked to do with human error this is the only thing it can't be since it can't be him yeah absolutely yeah so uh dave works his way back on the ship shuts him down and uh how has this uh, moment of of uh of fear and uh yeah also has this has a uh you know at least, turns the, into, at least all those crazy <laughs> that crazy acid yep. trip scene yeah and then it leads into the final sequence the stargate mm-hmm. sequence and the ending of the film which yeah, is yeah. back to the interpretation part of the film this is two big parts of this film this is the beautiful thing about it if yeah. you're into the how storyline it's easy to follow and it's excellent yes if you're into the interpretation of what the monolith is storyline that's because you really want to look deeply into who you are and what things yeah. are and what does it mean to you and and that's uh touchy-feely stuff that some people are like mm, no yeah no, absolutely no and, and I, I get that and i yeah. and i feel like i i feel like i identify more with the former than the latter sure. oh, certainly yeah. Me, when i was young absolutely it was like the first time i watched this this hal part is awesome this yeah, is great. yeah. murderous <laughs> robot excellent <laughs> now uh we'll 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 end with this because um there is a uh, there's an there's a reference that I want to bring up a, a reference of this movie that I want to bring up in a modern sense. There is oh, so epic rap battles of history, which has a lot of good like rap songs with like famous people who have you know quote unquote butted heads over the years. And there's a Bill Gates versus Steve Jobs epic rap battles of history song and video. Which, by the way, when I during my research, I looked up the video and I saw the timestamp where it said ten years ago, and I'm like, this video is really a decade old. Like I, I felt so old at that moment because I remember when it was brand new, and I was like, damn. <laughs> but it has a HAL nine thousand reference. It's kind of a surprise, like third entry in the rap battle, right? And 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 it's so great now that I know the reference because there's very much like. Not not only is it Hal nine thousand like th- that is the reference, but they make but it's it's there's so many two thousand one references in the rap in the rap verse that uh, that Hal nine thousand gives, and um, according to that video, Hal nine thousand runs on Linux, which honestly, like kind it's of IBM. Uh, yeah, I know that's probable in my mind. It's I could IBM see reference. that. I could see that. You know, yeah. yeah. So. Um- yeah, and I I actually had never seen that one. I actually love watching uh, 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 those rap battle movie videos, but I actually never saw that one, believe it or yeah. not. Yeah, and so I watched it before the show, and yeah, absolutely, Hal wins at the end. Absolutely, it's my oh opinion. yeah, no, Hal uh, definitely wins on, on in that battle. But yeah, there are so many other references to 
this movie, whether it be uh, shots that are similar or, you know, just in the movie Star Wars, when you see that giant ship come across the screen the first time when, when you're watching Star Wars and New Hope. That's mm-hmm. an homage to the discovery come across the screen the first time in this movie. If uh, there are so many robots out there that have a single eye, uh, for example, just one to throw out there, Wally, the spaceship's um, mm-hmm. wheel computer is literally a reference to Hal trying to, you know, being smarter than everybody in that yeah, movie. Yeah. So uh, it's, uh, there are, um, I mean, pop culture. Have you ever watched, uh, played a uh, portal? Well, obviously that's a reference to Hal. Because oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A, it's a I, giant. I, I haven't again. played it, but I know enough about it to know that. Yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. The uh, uh, the the references to uh, the songs and the music and how that works. Mon- the monolith references. Um, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who actually think that the re- that the monolith represents the movie screen because it happens to be the right dimensions to be a, a, a cinema bit movie put on its side and so and also which means it's a black mirror which of course is from black mirror it's your phone right that's what that is so it's our it's media it's what's it's what's you're supposed to be recommended and being interviewed into this there are so many things that have been influenced by this film and what it means uh out there you will start seeing things that go oh yeah that's uh that's from 2001 this will come mm-hmm. up a lot as you continue your journey here i am certain of it yeah for sure all right, uh, it's time to give our ratings of this movie. Uh, Matt, thumbs up, thumbs down. That's our scale here. What rating do you give this movie? This movie I enjoyed the first time I watched because I barely understood it, but I still thought the visuals were excellent. I thought the uh, uh, the story with Hal and the space mission was excellent. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the effects were amazing that they did with the movie and so first time viewing and most recent time viewing i just recently rewatched it in high def with uh uh the uh, hbo uh, max presentation yeah uh, yeah absolutely thumbs up from me absolutely i totally enjoyed this film and uh, i recommend everybody watch it mo- if not because it's kind of required viewing for uh science fiction um mm-hmm. but also for many of your uh, your your movie buffs will see will see so much influence into other movies from this film. Yeah, absolutely. Now, my rating, okay. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and uh, here here's what I'll, here's what I will say. Again, I get that it's a classic, and I get there's a lot of other movies referenced in this movie, or, or there's a lot of other movies that reference this movie. Rather, I completely understand that this is very much like must-see film watching, must-see uh, movie viewing. However, the the pacing was too slow for me personally. There was a lot of things that just did not make sense to me at all, which really took me out of the w- viewing experience. And so personally for me, I'm going to have to give it a thumbs down. Like, I, I just, I'm sorry. Like, I, I just, I did not... I did not enjoy this movie um that much. I I I I completely I I I absolutely will sing its praises, but overall I just did not enjoy the movie as much. So I think that that is perfectly fine. You this movie mm-hmm. is uh, a movie that divides lots of people. There are plenty of people who do not like it, and that yep. is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, at that that being said, I suspect if you come back in ten years and watch it again. You may change your mind. Okay. You never know. All right. Fair enough. I uh I will definitely I will definitely uh consider that for sure. 
So, but yeah, so, uh, but yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, we can agree to disagree on this show. That's the beauty of this. And uh, Matt, this was such a great conversation. Thank you so much for uh, being on the show. And uh, thanks for this uh, awesome time here. If if folks want to hear more of what you have to say, where can they find it? Well, you can very often find me every Wednesday night uh, on the VOD Squad, our show uh, where we talk about streaming technology and other things as well. Uh, we do that on YouTube uh, live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Pacific. Mm-hmm. And if you need a different time zone, you can figure it out from there. Uh, but uh, also sometimes uh, I'll play video games and throw them on my YouTube channel. Not very often. Most of the time I'm playing Planet Side 2 recently, a very old game that I still enjoy very much. So mm-hmm. um, other than that, uh, if you want to reach out to me, that's fine. That's cool. Uh, you, I recommend... Uh, uh, you send me uh, uh, probably by email is the best way to get a hold of me. Pathway at gmail.com. Right on. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, we'll have those links in the show notes. And yeah, VOD Squad is such an amazing show. Like it's very informative. It's sorry. I, there's this other show that's on at the same time competes with our time schedule. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Playing video <laughs> games on the internet. No, but okay, ab- no, but absolutely. Uh, everyone should definitely. Uh, and, and you have it on uh, on a podcast format now, which I've been telling yep. uh, I've been telling you guys to do for a while. One so. of the best ways to to consume our show is to get the podcast, and so you can yell at us in the car while you're driving down the road. Mm-hmm. It's great, absolutely, yeah. Everyone, go check that out. Thebodsquad.com. Of course, I do a watch party for each of these movies that we review on this show. Discord.cinemavention.com is where those watch parties take place. But if you can't make it um, to the party live. Don't worry, it's available on demand to everyone who supports over at patreon.com slash wscottis1. Don't forget that I'm live twice a week, as mentioned, playing games with the community, twitch.tv slash wscottis1. If you have thoughts about the movie we discussed today, I encourage you to send in your emails, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure I'm going to get some hate mail for uh, for my dislike of 2001. But email at cinemavention.com is the place to vent your frustrations at me. And if you want to see all the previous movies we've covered on this show, cinemavention.com is the website to see all of those episodes. Thank you to Kevin McLeod for the music over at incompetech.com. And next week, we will be starting Anime August here on Cinemavention. We'll be covering anime movies all month long. I hope you've enjoyed this gigantic month of shows for the month of July with all these big names that I was able to pull. I'm so happy with how this month of shows came out. Expect more where that came from in the weeks and months to come. I've got some great guests that I'm hoping to line up for the next few weeks and months. So look forward to that. And we'll see you next time for Anime August. Until then, we'll see you next time. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) 